Thank you for pressing play on this newest episode of A-Sides. I'm Andy, doing a solo interview tonight with Scott Stevens, who is the music maestro behind some of the biggest artists in modern rock today. He's a very cool guy, and I am grateful that I got the chance to talk to him. And I took away a lot of it, and I hope there's something you can take away from this episode as well. for making time then man. yeah dude uh, thanks for uh being persistent i guess and, that's not uh, really my strong suit actually yeah interviews are interviews are not mine either i mean i never do um i think i've done one <laughs> since i've become like a writer producer you know so um i did lots when i was in the band but i haven't done any you know i haven't done i've done only one i think in like 11 years Oh, wow. So now you're just kind of like the man behind the curtain, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think sometimes life just puts us where we're supposed to be. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't have much resistance to it. So I suppose that this is, uh, you know, I see 1111 and 111 nearly every day of my life. And that's I supposed to be an indication that I'm in the right place. So, um, you know, if you're into that superstitious stuff, I, I suppose that's what it means. <laughs> well, it seems to be working out cause I've seen you've had a lot of like number ones lately. And I saw your, uh, post, like you've had like billboards or signs around uh, Nashville. Yeah. I mean, that was my first, um, that was my first, uh, what they call b- number one banner, um, on music row. And I remember when I started going to music row, probably like, I would think about eight or nine years ago, I saw all these banners on all these homes, you know, which music row, it kind of extends like three or four uh, blocks and a uh, city blocks wide. Uh, there's just really two main um, you know, thoroughfares that really make up where I guess what tourists uh, go look at and whatnot. But I was like, well, if I'll ever get one of those, you know, now I'll never get one of those because I really don't write country music. I write rock. And, um, you know, even though Nashville is a closet rock town, they don't, they don't really advocate that, you know, as far as, they don't hang their hat on anything that's too rock, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm with a publishing company that wants to break that persona or just rule or whatever it is. They just want to, uh, they want to, you know, uh, they want to support all things, whether you're doing rock or jazz or pop or, alternative or whatever it is i think they just want to 
showcase their artists and their writers and this and that. So um, I got lucky that way with who I'm in, who I'm in bed with, you know, which is, um, you know, my, my crew, which is the four horsemen and, um, and my publishing company, which is round Hill and my management company, which is Indigoot, um, who does lots and lots of rock stuff. And yeah, it just feels like I'm in the right family and I'm just able to do what I do without chasing anything or, you know, thinking um, too much about anything, you know, like uh, I have no plans on becoming a country writer and I'm content with where I'm at. And uh, if it happens, it'll happen by some kind of, you know, you do you and the world turns to you kind of a thing. So uh, if that's the, if that's in the, if that's in the future 11 11s, then so be it. <laughs> well, it seems like <laughs> it's working out what you're doing so far. Like even, um, I guess there's like a Daughtry album that's coming out. And I saw you have like a bunch of writing credits on uh, the new album. Yeah. I mean, I've, I produced that record. Um my co-producer was Marty Fredrickson and he and I have teamed up um, on the production side of things with the four horsemen. Um, you know, just if you want to talk about whatever it is, the four horsemen is, is me, Marty Fredrickson, Zach Malloy and Blair Daly. And Marty and I kind of, uh, we tend to handle more of the production side of things. We do the writing side as well, but uh, Blair and Zach, um, they, they do, they do more writing than we do because they don't really get hung up on production and um, they even uh, infiltrate country and have both had their hits at country. Um, but they're rooted in rock, you know, so we, the four of us just talk about projects and this and that. And, uh, you know, I got a call a few years ago from Chris um, to produce this latest record and because he and I had worked on um, Baptize album and one other record. And I, and, and it was, you know, it was an obvious choice. He said, I, I really want to track my band live. And I said, well, you know, we're going to have to do it in Nashville. Cause I don't have a tracking room in Los Angeles at my studio. Um, you know, what do you think about doing it with Marty? Um, you know, you guys, you guys have uh, had a hit with crawling back to you. Um, so why don't you, why don't we, why don't we take a meeting and we took a meeting and it all seemed to work out. And then we started on that record in September of 2019. And, um, you know, by February 27th, we were halfway through it and COVID hit. Um, and I had, I, we had just taken a quick hiatus. Um, and I didn't realize I wouldn't return for, you know, a year so um we just we just finished that record remotely and did a lot of uh a lot of zoom sessions and wrote the songs and then i would build the bones in la and we would send the shit out to you know their um their band and those guys would interpret um you know songs and embellish on things and put their you know their stamp on it and record their parts and send it back to me. And, you know, if it needed a tweak or this or that, I'd call them and we'd walk through it and 
they would do it. So yeah, it's a, it was an adventure. It wasn't, it wasn't what I expected. Um, but I think we made a really, really great record for him. And we might not have made this record had it not been for COVID um, and being remote and everybody being responsible for what their part is and what their performance is. Um, and it was hard to produce, you know, over the internet and give notes and this and that. So it was a lot of editing and things like that to get the parts to do the right things. And if I couldn't make it happen with an edit, I just had them redo it, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting, man. I, I, I don't, I don't ever want to repeat it, but I'm kind of glad that I did it. Yeah. Cause that sounds like it would be really challenging to uh, make any kind of um, album or even just a song back and forth that way. Oh God. It's, I never, I don't have any practice at it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't even know what the rule book is on that, you know, so I, I guess I just uh, I'm, I'm winging it and, and I got and I got my partner, which is Marty to bounce shit off of and and he's bouncing shit off of me and two heads are better than one and we're just making good decisions and and we're making final decisions where, where we need to. Otherwise, we'll just keep going and going and going. <laughs> so, yeah. But I'm I'm excited. The record's great. It's a great record, and if uh, Crown just keeps moving the way it is, which I think it hit 14 today, um, they have there's this thing called uh, indicator charts, and it says it'll be at number nine or ten, I think, within a week or two. So, you know, if that's right, then that'll be great. Um, you know, we're I'm happy because you know we got him back on the charts after I think 11 years of not being on the active rock charts and, you know, Daughtry, even though he was on idol, he's, he's a rocker man through and through. I mean, Cornell's his idol. Uh, he loves the nineties. He loves live. He loves, you know, he loves heavy shit. Um, but he also has a voice that can do something more tender. And, you know, that's, it works really great on the songs that, that may helped him, uh, you know, become, one of the you know best selling uh, idols you know but he's just he just wanted to get back in touch with his rock roots and i think that you know being who i am and who marty is and our crew i mean that's what we do and um and we don't really do much else so we just wanted to kind of it's kind of like that movie sea biscuit you know he just needed to learn how to run again to become what it is that he was kind of born to do, <laughs> you know? So I'm hoping and, and uh, I'm hopeful for him that, I, that, that it, it, it gets to where he needs it to go. I mean, you know, he's, he's getting ready to go on tour with Lejean, who's one of his best friends from seven dust. And, you know, they're going to do a whole tour and Tremonti's a part of that. And um, I couldn't be happier for him, man. You know, we cracked a code. We made some believers out of non-believers yeah, because I'm really uh, digging those uh, three like pre-release. I think the most recent was like Lioness. Lioness, yeah, that's a song that Chris wrote all of it all himself. I just remember calling him, going, "Yeah, I mean, this is a cool like nod to your to your girl and whatnot." I go, but I don't know, man. I don't know if it's gonna fit this record that we're making, you know, and. 
he's like, dude, just give me your best and just try it. And it sat at my computer for a long time. And I finally was, you know, one of those things. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I guess I gotta work on this song now. And when <laughs> I, when I started diving in on it, I just, little light bulbs started going off and, um, I talked to Brian and, um, uh, Josh, the guitar players. And, you know, we just kind of formulated a little plan and we just worked on it, man. And it came out, it came out good. You know, I'm excited. I'm excited for him. He's, he's got a real, he's got a real cathartic album here for himself. It might not be chock full of all the exact radio hits of the pop world, but music has changed. And, you know, this record is just, we just tried to just get in touch with what made him want to do music in the first place, you know, and, and his range is crazy. I mean, we did hunger strike and it's who else is going to sing those Cornell parts, you know, and, and he did, he did a great nod to that, you know, it's his, his idol. And he's not, he's not thinking that he's better or anything than him, but he's just tipping the hat, you know? And I think he did a really, really good job on that one. So with the four horsemen um, that you're working with now and you're producing and writing, like, did you, um, back in the day when you were in the X's, um, did you have a hands-on, uh, like, producing role like that too? Or did you just pick stuff up as you went? That's a good question, man. I mean... I always had that producer brain, although I don't think I knew that that's what it was. Um, when we first did the demo for My Goddess, we did it with a guy named Christopher Damhurst, and he was my guitar player, David Walsh's friend. And he was very uh, technically savvy with, you know, tricks and effects and this and that. And I remember when we were working on that song i was like you know can we get it to sound industrial mixed with rock on the drums and can we get you know and things like that and can we get the vocal to go and i didn't i didn't even know really what to call that i don't think i called it a vocal stutter back then um maybe it was a i called it a vocal skip or something like that and I didn't realize until a few months later, you know, that, I mean, Lincoln Park came out with that, but I think we beat him to the punch with some of that vocal stuttering stuff, but they became more popular, of course. And I mean, their songs were great. So, um, but I feel like either we were creating that at the same time or whatever, but I think we were the first one to get a, a jump start on that in that new ilk of bands. And a lot of that came because it was just in my head and Chris knew how to chop the grid. I think that that transferred over when we finally started to record that record with Matt Serletic that I was just very um, interested in making colors on records like okay, the vocal performance is good, but it needs to sound filtered or the vocal needs to sound flanged out or it needs a double or it needs to stutter or can you make it do a reverse thing here or whatever. So that producer brain, I think, was always there. 
I just didn't know how to do it because I didn't even know how to work in Pro Tools. You know, I learned a lot by watching Chris Damerst. I, I learned a lot by watching um, Mark Dobson, who was Matt Serletic's like trickery guy. And once we recorded everything through the board, he knew how to finagle it and manipulate it and fuck with it, you know, and I just watched him for hours learning how to do how he did the intro to my goddess and all this stuff and, and crossfades and the sweeps and the thing. And I think that's I took that with me all the way through to a modern way of living with the truth when James Michaels was uh, producing, um, which he allowed me, I think, a co-producing credit on that record. I didn't realize at the time when I was in the booth, but something kind of tipped me off with when his back was to me and I was recording vocals that I was going to turn into James Michaels because I was just going to be, I was going to get behind the screen and he used to just talk about like being in a band and how he loved playing shows and this and that. And I, and I remember I made a comment that said, you just want to be on the road. You don't want to be behind the desk anymore. And then he became the singer of 6am. And so we switched these roles. Like he became me and I became him. <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird, you know, to what I had that little thought. I was like, I'm going to become that guy without really saying that, that directly, you know, like I, I something told me that I was going to become that. And, and he became something else, you know, and, and, you know, 6am was awesome. And I wrote one of their singles with him and Mickey, you know, so it's like, it's just a weird uh, th thing of events, but that's how that producer hat started, you know, and it's like, I, when I was with Nick Rescue Lennox on Head for the Door, he was interested in everything that I had to say, as far as arrangement, or production. Um, he was open to it, you know, and that that was a really great line of communication, you know, that made me realize that a really great producer knows when an idea is good or know when somebody has a good idea and they don't have to hog it. You know, they they just need to be a part of it, you know. And, um, you know, we're still friends today and still working together today because of that. I guess, yeah. So he was more like a mentor than just like, you know, trying to tell you what to do then. He was a mentor, man. He, he showed me how to be a band guy in a different kind of chair, which is the producer chair, but to have fun and not be stiff. You know, how to fucking, it's okay to rock out and dance around the studio and fucking throw the horns and, you know, get passionate about something. Because ultimately, I think rock, it's just about energy, you know, and we're very forgiving in rock where if the energy feels right, it doesn't really matter what the lyric is. If you can get a fucking kick ass lyric that matches the energy then you're you're double winning you know what i mean but it's not like pop or country country like the fucking story's got to be there otherwise it's not going to work 
and every word absolutely counts 100%. There's no filler. Whereas rock, you know, we have a lot of liberties and it's just got to feel fucking cool. I still don't even know the words to back in black. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it. I don't know the words to teen spirit all the way through. I don't know it, you know, but it fucking rocks. Every Rage Against the Machine song. I'm not sure I know. I don't know. Um, you were talking about music, like, you know, feeling and stuff. That reminds me of um, something I saw on your Instagram where you had um, you had told a story like that. And it was uh, how um, you had a band playing in your auditorium and you were like jumping up and down. And I guess they were like Squad 4, right? They were called Squad 4, yeah. Yeah. And it was a group of cops. Um, and they play and they went into the wall. I loved that song at the time. And I, I thought it had such, um, what, what is that word where, you know, your, your teenager did not, you know, uh, what is that? Re- like a rebel kind of a thing, you know, it just, I was like, what the, this is fucking awesome. And I loved the guitar part, you know, at that time, and I just remember rocking out to it. And I just looked over and all the kids in my row, and I'm not even kidding you, there was like 25 kids were looking at me with this like, you're a fucking dork. You know, kind of that real face, a real pouty face where it's like real, like, are you serious? Like, what are you doing? Like that kind of thing. Nobody's smirking at me or smiling or even pointing fingers. It's just kind of like disbelief that I was so lost in it, you know, I think that's what separate. That's when I knew I was like different with how I felt music, you know, it just, it needed to make me, if it made me go, woo, or go, you know, throw my hand in the air and throw the horns or jump up and down or head bang or whatever, that it obviously contains some component that is larger than me <laughs> to make me move to it and forget everything, you know? So, uh, and I think that's what it's all about. I mean, look, dude, today, and I cried today like a few times. I mean, Dusty Hill died from ZZ Top, you know, and, and I know I know the guy from, 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 from Slipknot died too. I'm not the most giant Slipknot fan, but I know that guy was an unbelievable drummer. Um, but switching back to ZZ Top, like Dusty was, and, 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 and all three of them were just like a huge deal for me. And it's a big loss. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, I feel like I know him, even though I never met him. I mean, he helped teach me, he helped teach me how to rock, you know, um, I saw them when I was like 11 years old and oh, wow. it was the loudest concert I ever saw in my life. Still to this day, unreal. And the way they played and just, they look like, like, like the documentary, I think that has Billy Bob uh, Thornton on it. He's like, they're like cartoon characters come to life, you know? And they just, there's not anybody that's like them. So it was a big deal for me, you know, and, and him gone today, it was caught me by surprise. And I was just like, holy shit, what? I just think that that guy is part of a band that taught me how to like what rock is and how it feels great. <laughs> you know, um, I agree. Cause I saw those guys. I only saw them once. It was like 10 years ago and I wasn't 
uh, really like sure if I wanted to go because it was like they were one band on a bill of like three, but they completely blew me away. And I was just like, these older guys rock like way more than uh, people like half their age. And it was just like amazing. They had moves and they were like moving around like Kiss, you know, like yeah, yeah. choreographed guitar moves. Yeah, that's what they did, man. I mean, they put on a show. When I saw them at Red Rocks on the Eliminator tour, I was just like, it was lasers and it was loud. And I couldn't believe. And I that summer, I had seen Iron Maiden. And I had seen Accept. And I had seen Quiet Riot. And I had seen Twisted Sister. And I had seen all these things. And this band fucking was 10 times louder than everybody else and and more and just more energy coming off the stage i was just like how is this possible these guys look like you know they're cowboys <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't but they didn't play like cowboys they played like they were in metallica and i've seen metallica i saw metallica on on ride the lightning you know um so uh, no master of puppets i saw them on master of puppets and it was like they were great. They were opening for Ozzy, but I got to say, I think ZZ Top was more ferocious. I think they were louder and just more like rip your head off. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was man. like, how? Uh, they're beer drinkers and hell raisers. I guess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know what it is, too? It's here's what it is. It's a three piece and the tones are not as dirty. So they translate better when they're cranked. And that fills the space more. So it's an illusion, kind of, you know. Where Metallica, it's super dense distortion. You know, it's really tight. And it's it's very uh, overdriven, so it makes it smaller, actually. But on record, it makes it sound, like, tougher and more metal and meaner, you know. Oh, wow. um, and I, lo- I fucking love Metallica. I mean, I've been in since first record, you know. But that... That was it. the only band that ever came close to the level of loudness was Green Day. And I saw them at the K-Rock Weenie Roast. And it was ungodly, unbelievable sounding. And, you know, there again, three-piece. Not super, super distorted guitars, but lots of power, you know. And uh, trios is kind of where it's at, man. <laughs> I guess like Motorhead would have been, too. So I think Nirvana would have been too. Yeah. I wish I would have seen him in the day. Damn. My brother saw them, but he saw him on Bleach. He didn't see him on Nevermind. You know, but um Yeah. But he was at the he was at the blur the Bluebird when he saw him and, and that hundred decibel cap, so it wouldn't have been that loud. It wouldn't have been like these other shows. When we when my brother and I were at Red Rock seeing ZZ Top, it was just like we looked at each other with like I think I'm gonna go deaf. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I don't want to keep you too long tonight because I know you were gonna um, about to sit down for dinner, but uh... I'll get a barbecue. Oh, me and, the, me and the missus are gonna barbecue. Oh, nice. Uh, do you have any uh, songs uh, from the XEs that really like stand out that uh, were kind of songs that you wrote that kind of make you feel like that, or that you wanted people to feel something when they heard them? The XEs was started out of the fact that I couldn't get my guitar player who was the leader of the band I was in at the time and my singer who was more interested in being a, in a cover band to finish originals and so I became the frustrated guitar player 
that was forced into singing and trying to do my thing. And all I could do, because I had no formal training, um, I was a I was a musician early on. I started the trumpet when I was eight years old. So I knew music. Um, when I started guitar at 15, I didn't read music. I did it all off instinct, and I trained myself by ear. I oh, wow. just wanted where the moments got personal, I wanted people to feel personal about it. And where the moments got loud, I would hope that they would rock. And being the fact that I had not written hundreds and hundreds of songs before that first, first album in 2000, it just was all instinctual. And we were all in another band. We were just trying something new strictly on the fact that it was different than what we were in something to alleviate the frustration of not getting anywhere with the band that we were in and just feeling the music. It was probably the most pure time for the Xs before we became a little bit more conscious of like, okay, we got to, we got to get something that translates to an audience, which ultimately I think was the right move to do because I don't think any of those other songs would have going to go, you know, reach the back row. Without that first record and that kind of freedom, I don't think we would have, or innocence, we wouldn't have been able to do My Goddess. Because I remember the day that we were on tour, we were towards the end of our first tour. And I think our single, Baby's Got a New Revelation, was, you know, dying down and it didn't really get very far anyway. And we were in this hotel and David and I shared a room. And I said, man, we got to start thinking about this next record. Like, we got to do something different. And I said, do you got any ideas? And he said, I got this song idea called My Goddess. Um, and I said, okay, let me hear it. And he just sat there on the edge of the bed and he kind of played me the verse and the chorus. And I was like, that's really great. You know, I go, can we tweak some notes? And like, let's get the chorus to like hit a certain level of like, energy because i'm just the listener at this point and going is the chorus isn't like hitting hard enough for me and i think we altered the key so that i could hit it hard you know and once that key got established and i hit that note it all came to life and we worked on that song for a little while i think a few like maybe a couple weeks and then we took it to Chris Damerst and we did the demo. And then I turned that in to Matt Serletic, who was in the hunt for us, to sign us. But he didn't know if he wanted to sign us. And I sent him that song and they signed us right after that. Because I knew that song was money. I was like, this song's going to go. Oh, and awesome. I knew it was going to go. I knew it. I was just like, I don't care if you sign us or not. This song's going to go. And he heard it and he got on board. And... That was it, man. I mean, he, we were off and running. And before I knew it, I was in Nashville with David and we were in a studio for like a month writing songs. And some songs David was writing a big chunk of, like he did My Goddess, or we were just writing together or I was writing the songs, you know? And it just kind of went like that. And Freddie would throw in a riff here or there. Here, I got a lyric, blah, 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 blah. And we just started shaping and working it and before i knew it i was in a room with la reed who which was the you know the head of arista records at that time and i was playing him like five selections from our 
what would become our debut real like you know mainstream record big label record and my goddess was the last song we played and he was into it he was clapping and he could sing the lyric and he knew it whereas the other songs he was like yeah cool you know <laughs> but he got that one and I, and I remember looking at Matt and going we got one at least we got one and the rest is history man I mean when they sat in a big board meeting and they played that song they played goddess when it was done which by the way David Thoner mixed that song which I don't know if everybody knows that but he mixed for those about to rock and so when he nailed that mix like it just lit up that company and we became like this baby band that was more of a priority than Janet Jackson and Lenny Kravitz. It was, it was weird because nobody sounded like us at that time, you know, and Lincoln Park wasn't out yet. So there wasn't as, you know, we had that techie sound kind of going on and it just was a fresh thing and it, it opened up all these doors and it started us on our journey. And I think that that, you know, when, when we were working on that riff, it was like, that's like Guns N' Roses. That makes me want to fucking pump, you know, like that makes me want to jump and that riff fucks, you know, you know, the long way around to your question is like, I just wanted it. I wanted people to rock when they heard that part, you know, but it couldn't rock in a, it couldn't rock in a Guns N' Roses way. Cause that had already done, been done. You know, so it needed to be a little more streamlined, a little faster, a little more techie sounding. It it got us started. It gave me everything. After that, you know, you know, ugly and other songs, which did great on the radio and this and that. But without any of that, and learning how what a crowd like re- relates to, and how to hit that back row and what what how they feel it. I don't think I'd be the writer that I am today if I hadn't been in a band because I, I, I'm with so many writers that have never been in bands. I think that that's the advantage that I needed to be thrown into the sea of writers of, of pop rock country and to find, and you know, I just got dropped in the middle of the ocean and I had to figure out how to swim to the rock Island, you know, to, to be able to, do what I did. And I got a few really, really lucky breaks because of people that I had toured with. And they were curious enough to just try to write a song with me that ended up working for them in some capacity, whether it was a film or a single or an album track or whatever. And one stone led to another. And I remember getting a call from James Michaels, full circle. He's just like, well, there's like six big rock writers and all of a sudden now you're one of them. How did that happen? And I just said, dude, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I said, I, I got an invitation from Tyler Connolly to write for the Truth Is record. And I wrote a song called Head Above Water, which went into a, a Transformers movie that caught the ear of a certain A&R guy. Um, who called me and said, I need a ballad for this band I have. Have you ever heard of them? They're called Hailstorm. And I said, yeah, I know I know who Lizzie is. And okay, great. I'm going to send her to you. Can you give us a couple of days to write a song with her? And she showed up here and I said, you know, your, your A&R guide wants us to write a ballad. And I said, I don't have one, but I have this song called I Miss the Misery. Do you want to work on it together? And we did. And it became her biggest song. It went platinum. It's 
70 million streams or something like that. You know, it's like these, these weird little accidents that happen. And I always come from a place of, do I want to see that song live, you know? And um, that's what's kind of served me well, you know, whether it be 6 a.m. or shine down or hailstorm or nothing more or, you know, Lilith Czar or the new Buck Cherry song or, um, you know, Tuck Smith or, fuck, I don't know, dude, Tech Nine, <laughs> you know, or, you know, Crown the Empire, Scott Stapp or Daughtry or, you know, these, these are all things I've been lucky enough to be a part of, you know, and. Yeah, because I'm like a nerd for looking at um, uh, the liner notes and stuff. And I saw how, yeah, you said you did the one Hailstorm song. Then you like followed up the next record and you wrote like half of that. Yeah, I think I had eight on that. On the I did two on the Curious Case of and then I did like eight um, yeah. on the Into the Wildlife. I did one on the last record and then Lizzie and I are we're buddies, man. Like we speak the same language, you know, she's, uh, she's my muse, man. As, as she puts it, um, you're my Desmond to my Jovi, you know? Oh, damn. Damn. That is a good pairing. Yeah, it's good, man. That's good. Yeah. We have a special connection and, uh, yeah. Cause that song blew me away. Like I am the fire. That was just us having conversations and talking about things i think we were pretty deep in the into the writing we, we'd already written amen and sick individual and a few other things and then i remember i took a vacation to brazil that's where my wife's family is from and it was really hot in the summer so i was always being stuck inside this little room with ac because i just can't deal with such raging humidity and i had a guitar that was a nylon string acoustic that we borrowed from her nephew and I started that progression of the verse and I just kind of started singing like, like little tiny, little tiny bits, you know, da, 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 you know, but no words, you know, and just kind of humming things and recording things. And then it just sits in a folder until we get together. And then Lizzie and I just kind of like, okay, here's my 10 ideas. You got to use anything you like, you know, and, she does the same thing to me and we just kind of spend about a day sifting through and going, I like that one. And I like that one. She takes my experience and then personalizes it and puts it out through her own thing, you know, and I, I do that too. Cause we all feel kind of shit the same, you know, it's just a slightly different take from person to person. And sometimes I think that's the, that's the, that's the boost you need to maybe get outside of your own head, you know? So get away from your own heart for a second, even though you feel it. But that's that's it, man. So, All right. Well, thanks yeah. for chatting, man. It was cool to kind of hear uh, you kind of pull back the curtain a little bit tonight. I love what I do. I love the people that I work with. I can't do it without them. It's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I just try to follow that path and, you know, when I'm in, when I'm in with somebody that's, has got that, that magic, um, it just makes the work speak. You know, you get to get, you, you get something that just is speaking, it, you know, it. you recognize what it is, you know, and 
and you just kind of grab on for the ride and be thankful. And uh, that's 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 my life on uh, on a day to day is most of the time I, I don't get to jump on, you know, like most of the time the ideas are a lot of work, but there's every once in a while something happens. It's just like, it takes you for the ride, you know, and that's, that's what I think I live for, you know, and wait for, it's kind of like waiting for a fish to bite your line or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think 2021 is going to be your year and you're going to get more of those uh, music row banners. Well, thank you, man. That's uh, I appreciate that. I hope so. If not this year, I mean, we're in July already. I mean, the music business moves kind of slow, but maybe there'll be a few more in, in, in next year. Certainly next year. I mean, I'm I'm just keeping my head down and I'm working. I'm just trying to do the best work that I can right now while I can because, you know, this doesn't last forever. Well, cool, man. Well, look, um, best of luck to you. You know, maybe we'll do this again soon. You know, like there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out over the next. I got a lot of shit getting ready to hit before like Thanksgiving. A lot of songs coming out and productions and things like that. So, um, yeah, well, we should do a catch up. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely keep in touch. So right on, dude. Andy, it was really nice to meet you. Good luck with your show. Thank you. And I'll talk to you soon, bro. Thank you. And um, enjoy your barbecue. Thank you, Scott, for taking the time to chat with me tonight. And thank you for listening. I took away a lot from this episode because for me, music is like oxygen. It is what I breathe in every day, whether I'm sad or angry or I need pumped up or I'm excited. Music is always there. So thank you, Scott, for giving me some of those moments to breathe. We'll talk to you next time on A-Sides.